Our guest minister today is a good friend of mine. He hails from uh, actually New York, Albany. Is that right? Rochester. Nowhere in New York. Okay. Yeah, Rochester, New York. Uh, and, it, and, and God has been on him and his wife's life. His wife is, is Liz, who is singing up here as well. And uh, they're amazing pastors in Harrisburg, in Life Center. And um, he just has such a passion for Jesus and to see people get saved and discipled. And uh, I just asked him to bless us and bring that ministry here so that we could receive what he's carrying and send it to the world. So if you'd help me in welcoming Mike Humphrey. Come on up here, Mike. Thank you. All right. Let's pray for Mike. Mike, we're going to pray for you. So Jesus, we just thank you for this man of God, this mighty minister of the Lord. Father, I just pray that you would touch him, that you'd move mightily through him, that your words would flow through him. And Holy Spirit, just have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, a side note, we have some, uh, funny enough, my wife was telling me that somebody from, a couple from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, just happened to be driving through and stop at our church this morning. Where are you guys at? What's up? Amazing. They're coming while we have people from Pennsylvania. Just blows my mind. Anyway, you can take it now. Get off the stage, Paul. So you guys, your RV broke down, and this, you just found this church? Can you stand? Can I pray for you? So are you going back to Lancaster? What are you doing? Wow. If you're on the internet, what they said is they sold their home and they're just seeking the Lord. So it's wonderful. Go ahead and stretch your hands out towards them. So Father, we thank you for this family that would take risk. Thank you for a family that would take risk. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we trust you to lead. We trust you to lead. We trust you to lead. Come and guide. Thank you for this incredible prophetic moment that you orchestrated in their life this morning. Thank you for everything that you've started in them. We commit it to you and we ask you to finish it. To finish it. The author and the finisher of their faith. So Jesus, we come before you. We commend them to you. We command angels to watch over them, to guide, to guard, to lead, to make way. Let the road be straight before them. We bless you in Jesus' name. Bless you guys. So glad you're here. How awesome is that? <laughs> it's not good when you start crying. Or maybe, it is, maybe it's actually better when you start crying. I don't know, but I cry a lot. It's a real problem. My kids are like, geez, Dad, get it together. Yeah, that's right. He said, Jesus wept. That's good. I'm like, listen, kid, don't tell me how to live my life. <laughs> if I don't unscrew this top now, it'll be a distraction. I don't want to be a distraction. Well, listen, I'm really happy. Thanks for having us, first of all. It's a, oh, that's really sweet to applaud that. I love that. <laughs> you guys are easy. It was good. Um, 
It's really good to see, first of all, to see you guys because we're of the same fold, right? Um, in, in the general and in the specific, which is really nice. Um, I discovered I, I, for a long, long time, my background um, family-wise is Methodist, um, charismatic Methodist, really kind of neat. Yeah, right. There was a time, believe me, there was a time when the Methodists were deeply charismatic. John Wesley uh, had this experience where he was a failed missionary and wasn't even sure that he believed anymore. And he ended up in the back of a Moravian church. And he said, my heart, he said, my heart was strangely warmed. And he describes, he goes on to describe this baptism of the Holy Spirit that he had not received up until then. And he said, I, I was so transformed in the wake of this experience with God that I began to wonder whether I had ever been a believer at all because it was such a different John Wesley. And it was then that he abandoned Methodism and moved into the theology that these days we would call Wesleyanism where he switched from effort to grace. Isn't that beautiful? So we, um, anyway, um, that was a tangent. We, <laughs> so that's my background. But these days we're, we're heavy into the move of the spirit again, right? I was raised in this, but it took like a family, there was some trajectory stuff that had to occur. Um, and now we're of the same fold, both specifically and generally. So we're believers in Jesus, which is wonderful. But I can tell you that I've spent years and years working with mainline churches, and there's nothing wrong with mainline churches, but it's a plow. <laughs> it's a plow, especially if you're like the token charismatic in this world of <laughs> Baptist, Metha, Wesla, you know. So I'm telling you, there's something really special going on in the earth right now where God is unifying the churches around his presence. Uh, for the first time in a long time, this is a new reformation. This is a work that he's doing that will go down in history. There are works that he does that go down in history. Do you believe that? Okay. So if the last time the world was in the state of turmoil that it's in right now, and some of you, I, I see some gray hair out there, uh, and I see some of you that are kind of like, you're telling my future you don't have gray hair, but you would have. That's okay. That's okay. Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus. I started losing my hair. I'm like, yes, sir. I could do that. The last time the world was in the turmoil that it's in now, where the turmoil is global, right? First time in a long, long time. These things seem to happen about every three generations because there's a founding generation, there's a stewarding generation, and then there's the one that loses it and has to get it again, <laughs> right? The last time this happened was the 60s. There was, right, come on, you guys, some of you, okay, thank you, yeah. The, in the 1960s, there was chaos, there were, there were um, rebellions, there was this moral failure, there was the questioning of all things good, there was the calling good, evil, and evil good, right? There was literal... Um, there was peaceful protest, you know, like there is these days. This stuff, this stuff has come before. Now, you're hearing the word unprecedented a lot because we've got to watch the news. It's got to sell itself to us so they can get their clicks and get their advertising dollars. But this isn't unprecedented at all. But what always follows this kind of chaos is what I've been calling at, at, at Life Center. I've been preaching this kind of message a lot because I think it helps us to know uh, where we are. It's a good thing to know where we are. Um, I've been calling these things sovereign intents. Like 
the Lord, you know what sovereign means? Like the Lord comes in and there are things where he partners with us. There are times that he, he agrees with what we're doing on earth and we move his heart and we create with him. And the things that we do with him probably wouldn't happen if we didn't obey. There are, there, there's a lot of that that goes on. There are also times where God needs no assistance. It's just going to happen. He's going to declare it and it will happen. Right. So this is, the, we, again, looking back through history, we see these times. And you can always tell because the whole world is reacting to one of two spirits. And everyone does it. They don't get to choose. This isn't something that most people are even conscious of. They just have a reaction. So the move of God gathers the hearts of the people whose hearts he has. And they respond to what he's doing in the earth. And simultaneously, every other heart is responding to the spirit of the age, which is the counterfeit, the movement that the Lord is doing, right? So right now, we're in this stage where the Lord is unifying the body around his presence. And we see in the world, the spirit of the age is dividing, right? Have you seen this? Okay. Right now, the Lord is preparing for revival, He's preparing the church to handle the influx of salvation. He's providing the remnant. And we always think of a remnant as small. I think that that's because religious spirits have always tried to create a little castle they could live in. And they always teach of the remnant being small. It doesn't have to be small. It just has to be pure. So in his body, in preparation for the move he's going to do in the earth, he's causing, stirring, there's a grace on personal revival. Corporate revival is complicated. It's very expensive. It's dangerous to immature churches. It's dangerous to immature leadership. It's dangerous to selfish believers. So God comes in before he moves in the earth and he moves in his people. He, he, it's good that we know this, he purifies the remnant. And when he does, he's made the way ready for revival. So God is constructing, and what do we see the spirit of the age doing? Deconstructing, right? It's really important that we know where we stand. It's, uh, look, you can, be, you can be a believer who has no idea what's going on. You're still going to go to heaven. That's totally fine. It's an option. I don't want it, but it's an option. Uh, Jesus came. We were indebted to God. We could not pay the debt. Jesus came and he zeroed our account. And he gave us permission to pursue treasure in heaven. He gave us permission to pursue reward. Go ahead and read any of the parables in the gospels. They're almost all about reward, not salvation. He assumes salvation. He starts them out with the kingdom of heaven is like. And so everybody in the story is saved. And we, we tend to sort of like get this... Uh, I don't know, it's an overly simplified perspective on this stuff where we're like, okay, so if you buy the field, you must be getting saved. No, no, no. If you buy the field, you're surrendering your life, which is separate. It is separate. Many people believe for salvation. Who wouldn't? I mean, come on. You could go to hell or not. Well, okay, right. Really simple choice. But what God's doing in this season is much more because, again, remember where we are. We're perched on the precipice of the move of God. I don't know if you, have you guys been hearing this stuff a lot? 
Okay, you ever been in a position where somebody promised and promised and promised and you started to despair in the waiting? Okay, I'm encouraging you not to despair in the waiting. This is part of what I'm doing here today. Don't despair in the waiting. Prepare instead. Okay, God, we are on the precipice of a move of God. And what he's doing in us is preparing us not only to be observers of the move of God, but to be participants. And in every apostolically led church, and I don't think Paul needs an endorsement for me, but I'll just tell you, he's, he is an apostolic leader. We get in this position, I, I hate this thing, this silly religious thing, where we're afraid to call people an apostle because we're like nervous that they're gonna, I don't know, rewrite the scripture or something. I don't know what, I don't know what in the world we're thinking. Like, you know, we, okay, it's a closed canon. I think we can agree on that, right? But it's important that we understand that if you're in a church like this one, where you have a responsibility not only to the saved and to the unsaved, but actually to the coming of the kingdom, that's what it, it basically means to be apostolic, then you have a responsibility to lead in the move of God, not only to observe it, right? You will have, now, now look, don't take this, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but we will have failed if all we do is celebrate the move of God. There are churches that have a calling. There's nothing wrong with this. This isn't better or worse. Believe me, that's maybe part of our hang-up with the apostolic thing is that we get afraid that it's better or that it thinks it's better. It's, come on, that's silly. But we would potentially be in the position of sort of failing our calling to the moment if all we did was celebrate and observe the move of God. We have a responsibility to do what Peter did to stand up when the move of God is occurring, when many are being swept along in the move, to place the act of God, the act of the Holy Spirit, on the prophetic timeline and to take leadership over it. So these guys, it, whatever's going on in the upper room is so substantial that it's spilling out into the streets. They're all aware of it. This is Acts chapter 2. And Peter has the wherewithal, and there's no indication that he prepared for this. There's no indication he heard a voice. Something inside of him had been so transformed that he trusted his instinct. And without even thinking about it, as far as we know, he stands up and he says, no, 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 this is not, these men are not drunk as you have assumed. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. He placed it on the prophetic timeline and he was able to take leadership in it. This is the remnant. And it doesn't have to be small. It could be all of New Life City. It could be all of Harrisburg. It could be all of Albuquerque. It could be all of Life Center. It could be all of the Global Awakening Network. It could be all. There's no need for it to be this little thing that kind of holds up and prepares, you know, stocks up food and guns and stuff. <laughs> and I love food and guns. <laughs> um, okay, so worship went along. I love the worship went long. So 10 minutes long basically means I've only got an hour and a half. So buckle up, kids. <laughs> it's going to be good. We were, uh, this, is, this has nothing to do with anything. I'm about to tell a story that has no point. I just want you to know. It has not, so don't like try to, <laughs> zero, there's zero point. We were, uh, we were on top of, we did Sandia Peak. We did the, um, the tram. I still don't, I don't get the watermelon thing, but that's okay. Um, they're saying it, I'm like, ah, you guys are all like drinking the watermelon Kool-Aid or tequila or 
If it was me, it'd be mezcal, not tequila. I got an amen on that. You hear that? <laughs> praise, praise the Lord. I am in the right church. Okay. So the new wine, the old wine, the bourbon. So um, that's on the internet. That'll, be, that'll age well. Um, so we're up on this, this, you know, we're up there. And they tell you at the restaurant, they're like, listen, alcohol hits you faster here. So they apparently didn't tell these three ladies. Right? <laughs> they were a riot. They were so, they were, they won't, they don't remember. <laughs> we're glad that they weren't running the tram. <laughs> like, don't tram and don't drink in tram. Is that a thing? So there, we're, <laughs> we're up there with them. And we were, we like, we were like stand-up comedians. We couldn't miss. It was, <laughs> it was good. And they, they basically, they couldn't believe that we were, um, here to be a part of the church, like that we were, that we were ministers. They're like, you're too funny. You're too cool. You know. And they said this thing, John just reminded me, they said this thing, um, like, you, you, we're not really the kind of people you typically hang out with, are we? John goes, you're exactly the kind of people we want to hang out with. <laughs> so there's, this, there's the pointless story. This is, this is now our first impression of New Mexico. <laughs> these, these really 85 sheets to the wind, 60-year-old ladies on top of a glorious slice of watermelon. It was wonderful. Okay, so I've only, at this point, I'm down to an hour and 10, so I got to get busy. Um, I want to talk about purity so if you have your copy of I Kissed Dating Goodbye, <laughs> you can, that's for all the, okay, forget it. I didn't kiss dating goodbye. It's worked out great. I, I have a wonderful marriage. <laughs> Beautiful kids. Um, okay, so Matthew 5.8, very common, very, um, we're all aware of this. This verse says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So remember, this is all in the context of the current move of God within our stream. So I wouldn't actually be delivering this message outside of our stream. I don't think it makes sense outside of our stream. Um, but this goes along great with what Tiff and Liz were both picking up on when they were praying for you guys. Um, and it does go along great with, life's, with Paul's life uh, message. Um, these days that we're in, uh, where chaos is on the uptick, where... There's this underlying sense of anxiety. Our counseling department at Life Center is literally can't take all of the, um, the inquiries. There's just too much going on, and people don't know how to respond to it. Um, so I'm going to talk about purity. I want to talk about it from a slightly different angle uh, than, than maybe you've heard about it. But I feel as though there's a prophetic significance for how we position ourselves to be a part of what God is doing next it's really important that we understand this thing. This, was, this came from me seeking the Lord at the beginning of the, the year, asking him what he wants from us, for us. And this is, this is sort of where he led me, so, um, so that's where I'm leading you to. So pure, so I'm going to go through some definitions here, because I used to teach, and so now you have to deal with this. You are my high school students today. And I will kick you out of class so fast. Get your attitude in line, kid. Okay, so pure, free from corrupt desire, from sin or guilt. I think that's a pretty, 
universal definition. We're all good with it. And then it starts to get a little bit more nuanced. Nuanced definitions are really important. I won't lecture you on um, synonyms, but they don't exist. Precise thinking leads to precise communication, which leads to accurate results. So, um, so we get to we start to put a point, a nuanced point on this idea of purity. He this second, third, fourth um, definitions here. So free from the mixture of what is false. And then to clarify, he says to be sincere or genuine. This is Daniel Webster or whoever edited since then. Okay, so that's interesting. To be sincere is a part of being pure. Okay. Blameless or innocent, again, I feel like we can kind of, that's good. All right, we're good with that one. Okay, here, unstained with the guilt of anything. Isn't that interesting? You ever been stained by somebody else's guilt? I mean, hey, if you grew up in church, right? Or if you were abused, right? Somebody did something, had nothing to do with you, but it affected your purity, right? Okay, so this is, we're starting to understand what we mean when we say the word pure. And then there's this phrase, to see God. So seeing, obviously, we... We get it in the basic sense, right? But this is actually a pretty complicated definition. To perceive, quite different than to see, right? There's a nuance in that definition that's not the same as using your, your eyes. To know or to recognize, okay? So, so far, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see. Okay, so God we this should be simple, right? God the person, the one true God. But then there, there's a couple little points here that, it, again, definitionally, we're just taking that word, breaking it down so we understand what the scripture's really saying. The will of God. Really? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall perceive the will. Is that a new layer to that verse for you? The will of God. Blessed are the pure in heart because they'll perceive the things of God. Really? Isn't that interesting? Blessed are the pure in heart because they will perceive the nature of God. This is all in there. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will recognize the acts of God. How many of you were around for Toronto, for the outpouring of Toronto? You were aware of what I'm talking about? I was alive, Paul says. He was, he, was a, he, was, he was a suckling. He was a wee lad. I was, I was young, but I, was, I remember. You know, we went a lot. My parents took me up there and stuff. And I remember the churches that kicked back, that pushed back against that. And it's interesting because it didn't seem to be some. There were churches that bought in that you would have been surprised, picked up on it. And there were churches that rejected it. And you would have been surprised that they rejected it. I think there's a difference in purity that caused a difference in perception. They weren't able to pick up on what God was doing because somehow they'd been affected. Now, again, I, I'm not going to actually, in spite of the fact that I'm talking about purity, I'm not going to talk much about hidden sin. I hope that that just kind of goes without saying, right? So if the shoe fits, repent. Come on, get real. If, 
if we think that purity is just that, then we're actually missing the larger, more frequent, more impactful version of it, which is basically when everything around us comes to bear on our soul, creates discouragement, blinds us to what the Holy Spirit is doing in the earth, leads us into despair or to retreat. Right? This is what the Lord wants to set the church free from right now. Right now. He's creating for himself a remnant because God's going to give Jesus the reward of his suffering. He's going to give him men from every nation. And it's going to happen in our lifetimes. We're going to see it. So purity has more to do with how we see than it has to do with what we see. It's not perfection. We trust in the blood of Jesus for perfection, right? It's freedom from affect. It's the ability to trust in a way that allows us to survive what readily befalls others. It's not our intellect. It's not our wisdom. It's not our effort. It's deliverance. It's the mercy of God. So when we become impure... There's omission and commission. These are theological words that basically means the things we do and the things that we don't even know, right? So obviously, and again, I'm not going to harp on sin because I hope that that's not needed. But when we commit some sort of a sin, we're agreeing in our conscience to do this thing. We're creating some sort of an alliance with an evil outcome, an awkward, an evil desire. And obviously that opens things up in us. But the omission thing, the stuff that other people do, that, that even maybe our environment carries that have nothing to do with the individuals around us, those ones are a little harder for us to, um, to pick up on. And once something has become impure, it can't make itself pure again. Right? This is the problem with deception. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You start, you agree. We all Now look, deception, there's accountability for deception. You realize that people go to hell for being deceived. Right? So that means that in his justice... God gave them the reward of their decisions. Um, it's important that we understand that because deception's not something that happens to us. Something inside of us made a choice to believe. We actually have a witness in us that clarifies to us things that we couldn't have known. This is the benefit of having a spirit inside of us who is not us, but does speak to our spirit, spirit to spirit, and knows all things. Right. So when we are deceived, we are we're brought in, we're taken in. Something we perceive as being worth compromising for is presented to us. We don't get to choose where that seed leads. We don't get to, right? This is, this is the problem with impurity and with deception. You can't fix it. It's unfixable on our own, right? So what do we do? We turn again to Jesus Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will, that's to want, to desire, and to do his good pleasure. All of these outcomes come back to Jesus. Every desire that we have to be holy, to be pure, comes back to Jesus. And even our ability to be holy, to be pure, comes back to Jesus um, so I want to hit, I'm going to hit these so fast, you're, you're going to be, take notes or watch it again or something. Um, 
I'm going to hit three points, and I'm going to hit one of them hard. So I'm going, to, I'm going to gloss over two of them, but there's a lot to look at in them. So I'd encourage you to dig in. Um, these are the ways that I see, and I'm sure this, I'm not claiming this is exhaustive or anything like that, but these are the ways that I see God dealing with impurity. And remember, what I'm presenting to you today is a teaching, but it's also prophetic. So this is something you take before the Lord, and you ask him to confirm the details to you, okay? Don't take my word for it. Don't trust me. Just hear me and then trust Jesus. So <clears throat> the first way that God deals with impurity in us is through common grace. What common grace means is basically God's accommodation, his merciful accommodation towards everything that's going on. So this hits those sins of omission, the things we don't even know we're doing or not doing, that sort of thing. So when we have questions, like people will, this is a, it's, I, I don't want to, I'm not, okay. People will often come and they'll say, so, hey, what do you do with the fact that in the Old Testament, Solomon had a whole bunch of wives? It's like, well, here's the deal. Um, hindsight's going to look back on me too, so I'm not going to cast the first stone. Because that judgment starts as murder, but it ends as suicide. So just be careful about that, right? But God had a merciful accommodation. It's like, if he fixed everything, we would just vaporize. <laughs> we, <laughs> you know, it'd be, we'd be done. So in his mercy, he actually has built-in accommodation for the time and the place that we exist in. And there's this progressive revelation of God where these days we go, of course we don't marry 18 women <laughs> at the same time, right? God's, <laughs> God's <laughs> there you go, there you are. Okay, so what happens when we, when we refuse to live with, when we have to we demand an explanation for everything? This is humanism, by the way. It's Christian humanism, but it is humanism. Um, is we fill gaps in with speculation, and we're wrong every time. Just to be clear, we're wrong every time. Here's what 1 Timothy uh, 1 says, and I'm going to, again, I'm going to pound through this. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. Look, in the church today, there are lots of endless genealogies and worthless conversations, which promote speculations rather than stewardship. Isn't that an interesting thing to set up as dichotomy? To promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith, the, isn't that amazing? The aim of our charge, now here it ties into purity. Paul knows what he's doing, right? The aim of our, this is the apostle, your pastor also knows what he's doing, but this is the apostle Paul, who even knows us slightly more. The, <laughs> the aim of our charge is love that issues from what? A pure heart. And interesting. I'll skip real quick. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered into the way of vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law. Isn't that interesting? Desiring to be teachers of the way man created to get to God without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So, you know, look, if you're, if this is a, <laughs> this is a charismatic church and I, I love the charismatic church, I often find myself on a Sunday set aside <laughs> Having, I'm like walking by, and it's like, hey, well, you know, I'll talk to some, like, let's just start a conversation, check up how you're doing. Um, I'm a pastor, I should know how you're doing. So start a conversation, and before long, 
we're like into conspiracies about like aliens and they're selling me essential oils. They're trying to get, and I'm like, how do I get out of, I didn't want, this is, I don't know how to get out of this. This isn't what I came here for. Ah! Right? You get in this weird position and what's, what's going on? We're dealing with worthless speculation, right? Because we refuse to live in the mystery. God doesn't have to explain everything. He doesn't owe, us, he doesn't owe any explanation to us. So when we get too caught up on analysis, we get into vain speculation because we demand an answer for everything. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. He doesn't owe us an explanation. So we make a faith-based decision to trust in his common grace. Okay? First way God purifies us. Second is through process. If you were in the charismatic church when it interfaced with the word of faith, there was a time when the reality of process was denied. Just, nope, I don't want to have to believe that God's going to put me through things to change me. I don't want to have to believe that sometimes some of the stuff that I deal with is to go through, not around, right? This was a, this was a relatively common theology. Over time, it's sort of self-corrected because it's like you can only believe that for so long <laughs> and stay alive. You know, I don't know. So process. Um, Derek Prince, do you guys know who Derek Prince is? Sort of a theological father of our movement. He would always say he's, he really pioneered in uh, bringing back to the Protestant church the idea of deliverance. And he would say, look, if you've got something, you've got heaviness, you've got depression, you've got anxiety, something you can't solve, a terrible situation, you bind the spirits and you crucify the flesh. This was his, right? So I'm adding to him, and I think it's okay to add to him. I don't, he, doesn't, he probably doesn't mind. Um, he, he, he's not canonized yet. Um, bind the spirits, crucify the flesh. If your problem still doesn't go away, Submit to the process. Just let the Lord change you. Ask him. You know how often people will come to me and they'll say, yeah, this is going on. And like after a while, I just say, so are you, have you asked the Lord what he's doing? And it's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> we have a winner, you know. Like, no, and I understand because when you're in it, you're just in survival mode. It's really easy to, to just not even think of that, right? But ask the Lord what he's doing. And I, I almost didn't even put any examples because this is basically a macro-biblical concept. It's just like split the book open and point to a verse. It's probably about process, right? So David and Saul is an example. Moses in the desert is an example. Noah enduring scorn while he built the, the, the ark. All of this stuff. Gideon's army. Joseph in jail. All of this stuff. These are very, very many um, examples. These are just a tiny bit of them. Um, Isaiah 45, 9. And I use the, the New Living because it's a little clearer on this, but it says, what sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay pot dispute with the one who shapes it? Saying you're doing this wrong. How clumsy can you be? Right? We don't typically accuse God directly. That's not how this comes up normally in our lives. But a lot of times, our decision to avoid looking at the process that he's putting us through is actually a micro-rebellion. Um, recently, unfortunately, just to be honest with you, recently, um, I was praying about something in the Lord. He literally, <clears throat> he shut me up. He just said, stop talking. You know you're in rebellion. And I was like, 
yeah, ouch. At first, I was like, ah, you know, like, <laughs> I was going to be like, you don't know. I, he did. Turns out he did. He was, <laughs> so, so I get to appeal to common grace, right? I get to, I get to surrender. So God's purifying the church. This is what it's looking like right now in these days. We're trusting in common grace, the merciful accommodation of God. We're submitting to the process. This is really key right now because this is the formation of the remnant. This is what's happening in the charismatic church right now. It's happening globally in every church that's open to the Holy Spirit. Um, these are things, by the way, that you can't make a, an argument from Scripture for the season. This is why we have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. So there are lots of charismatic churches who are missing this because they're listening to what the Holy Spirit said before. And there are lots of non-charismatic churches that are hearing this because their hearts are pure. They're sold out to the work of the kingdom. So common grace process. And third, and this one, if I had more time, I'd hit this really hard, but I'm going to be merciful to you. Uh, Encounter. This is the third way that God purifies us. And the first two we acquire by faith. By faith, we submit to the process. By faith, we trust for common grace. There isn't, there isn't a, a to-do. There isn't a, um, you know, a, a role that we play specifically apart from trust. But an encounter we seek. I want to encourage you to seek encounter. Um, somewhere along the way, people started to say things like, I don't seek encounters because it's dangerous or some weird, crazy stuff like that. That's weird. That's weird. Listen, this is a religion. We believe that God spoke to some people who started some things, and we're in its lineage. So don't go like, I'm not seeking encounters, right? You know how this thing started? The son of an idol maker heard a voice in his head and started walking. That's how this faith started. This is the faith of Abraham, right? So seek encounter. Don't get religious. Seek encounter. Don't, 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 don't buy into that. So this is a season of personal revival. I'm going to read a little bit of a chunk to you, and then I promise I'll stop and pray for you so you can go home. Um, Isaiah 6, 1 through 9 says this. In the year that the king Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This passage is always <laughs> really hard for me to read. He, uh, he had set himself up for encounter. If you're reading the whole thing, you see that he was actually seeking the Lord. Oh, buddy. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, etc., etc., etc. Then once they called each other, holy, holy, holy. You know, foundations of the th- threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, catch this, woe is for me, or woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He just recognized in the point of encounter something he hadn't seen before, which was that he had an impurity in him that was of his own making and one that was externally applied. This is the difference between iniquity and sin. He says, I'm a man. This is in the presence this happens because it basically has to overcome our understanding. He has an encounter and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a people of unclean lips. And then he says, for my eyes have seen the king. 
It was the presence of Jesus that awoke him up to this reality. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongues from the altar, and he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt, that's what's going on inside of him of his own making. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. This is what's going on around him and its effect on him. In the world we live in today, the turmoil has a really significant probability of affecting us. This is the point of the chaos. The enemy is aware of what the Lord's doing. He's aware of the potential that the church poses to this incredible thing that God's got coming. And the chaos is designed to dishearten and to numb. The best way to overcome this is to seek the presence of God, to be changed by his nearness, to be purified by his touch. And it will awaken our ability to perceive him, his nature, and his movement. Okay, go ahead and stand. <clears throat> and if somebody, I don't know if somebody would come to the keys or something, but if that's a thing. At the end of that passage, he says, here I am, send me. And all of the disciples would have read that in the Greek Septuagint, which means that the word there would have been apostello. Here I am, apostello me. So then Paul says, I come along as one untimely born. In other words, like I understand that there were the original 12, but I'm also an apostle is what he's saying. Jesus says, as you sent me, I send them. Those are all this same, they're all a hearkening back. And because of the, the cultural memory, they all knew exactly what he was saying. This was a hearkening back to the here I am, send me, that Isaiah said in response to his experience with the Lord and his purification by his touch. So go ahead and raise your hands. So Jesus, we want, we want to see what you're doing. We don't want to be victims of an old wineskin. We don't want to be afraid when you're calling for courage. We don't want to stand down when you're calling us to charge. We don't want to miss the work that you're doing, and we don't want to be happy, passive observers. We want to be dirty, hands dirty in the work of the coming of the kingdom. We trust your mercy to accommodate our place and our time in ways that we can't. We submit to the mystery of God. We trust you are leading in the process of our lives, that you are working in us both to will and to do of everything that you have for us. And we ask for encounters with your presence. Deep, life-changing, freedom-generating, purity-making, spirit-changing encounters with your presence that remove from us the effect of our sin and the effect of the sins of others and allow us to perceive what you're doing and to be a part.
bless you. I bless you to perceive God. And I entrust you to the Holy Spirit. We can do this because we're family. This is how impartation works. I entrust you, your future, the work of God in you, your capacity to recognize his movement in the earth, to play a role, the role designed for you. I entrust you to the work of the Holy Spirit. I bless your eyes to see, your ears to hear. In Jesus' name. If you want prayer, come on up. I'm sure there are people here who will pray. (laughs) Keep your heart with all diligence because from it springs the issues of life. This is how we perceive perceive what God's doing and play our part. There's a reward in it. How many of you want an eternal reward? It's good to want reward. It's biblical to want reward. Okay. Bless you guys.